From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for July, sorry, January 22nd, my half birthday. My birthday is July 22nd, which is why I said July instead of January. Um, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. We are here for part two of Stucco, Rothman, and Schilling. The Yes Network's Matt Stucco, the Yes Network Seth Rothman, and me, the guy who does not work for the Yes Network. Uh, hi, boys. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having us, Concer. Yeah, it's good to be here, Jeremy. It is my pleasure. All right, so we ended part one of the podcast talking about life as a dad. Uh, now we're going to talk about your shows. And both of you do have shows, even though Seth may not realize that he has a show. Um, so we're going to start with Seth. Seth, researcher, the Yes Network. Your Twitter feed is your show. Every time that I look at your Twitter feed, to Twitter feed, Twitter feed would be something interesting. I learned something. And I find that remarkable because there's a lot of Twitter feeds out there, dot, 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 that don't teach you things. Um, but your feed is a, is a feed of positivity and um, interesting things. So for the folks out there, what are you looking for when you post these stats? Because as we talked about in part one, you're given, you know, you help produce like a 2,400 page book about everything before every pot, every Yankee game. What are you looking for to post on Twitter versus what's in that packet, which goes to every announcer and, and person working the game? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'll post on Twitter is stuff that I looked up for, for the one sheet. Um, so it's 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 mainly it's it's things. If if I find something interesting, I'm looking for interesting stuff. I'm looking for an, an interesting nugget. Um, we look for trends. You know, um, uh, Severino's last four starts have been really good. Tanaka seems to always pitch well at X Ballpark. Um, Aaron Judge is hitting 300 with eight home runs over the last, you know, 12 games. Uh, you know, so so if, if there's an interesting trend, I try and find that. Um, Glaber Torres last season, every day he seemed to do something that was historic in, in some way. We would try to notate that. We, in the research department, know that 90% of the stuff we look up will never make it on the air. And so we kind of use our Twitter feeds... Um, as a way to get more information out there. You know, stuff that maybe will not make it on the air goes on Twitter. Stuff that does make it on the air goes on Twitter. Um, I don't try and tweet a lot. I certainly don't tweet as much as I did back when I covered hockey. Um, you know, one thing I learned back then, Andrew Gross, who used to cover the Rangers and now he covers, I think it's the Devils, maybe it's the Islanders, I forget now. Um, wrote something about how your Twitter feed should always stay on topic. That people don't really care about um, off-topic things. And so, you know, in the off-season, that can be a little bit more loose. But during the season, my Twitter feed stays exclusively Yankees, exclusively baseball. And one other thing I learned when covering hockey is don't get too high after a win. Don't get too low after a you know loss. Those of us who, and I don't cover, I don't consider myself that I cover the Yankees, but those of us who have a role, like whether it's a beat writer or somebody who works at, at the Yes Network, we have a responsibility to not um, 
begin a panic. And a lot of times in this market, fans will start the panic after three straight losses or, or you know, a, a blown save by Chapman and people are panicking. And, and I remember uh, Mariano Rivera would blow a save or two in, in May every single year and people would freak out. He's done. He's finished. This is the year that Mo collapses. Um, and so I always try and sort of temper that a little bit as well. And I think that's important. Um, to sort of have that voice as well. How many times did Yankee fans want to fire Aaron Boone last year? Like every Wednesday, it seemed like. Yeah, I mean, it, it just there's a lot of silliness out there, right? And and I think part of part of what I would like to do is temper the silliness with evidence, you know. And like, you know, we sort of joke around that we ha we bring the receipts. Yeah. And. And, and that's sort of what we try and do is we try and we 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 don't necessarily change the um, the topic around the Yankees. Occasionally we do. I remember um, Stanton's first season here, and he was awful in April. Struck out every other at bat. Couldn't get a big hit. Blah blah blah. And on an off day, I remember thinking to myself, I wonder how he starts in his career because Yankee fans we didn't know who. John Carlos Stanton was. We didn't know what he was like. And I went through the numbers every single season of his career except for one. He got off to a miserable start, batting 180, 220, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I posted that on, on an off day, and it, it, it changed the conversation around John Carlos Stanton from this guy's a failure to, oh, okay, he gets off to a slow start every year. He'll be fine. And I think those are the ones that I take great pleasure in. Since I am with two journalists, we uh, obviously have to get our hashtag facts right. Um, Andrew Gross has covered all three New York hockey teams. He is currently the Islander beat writer for Newsday, but former Ranger beat writer and former Devil beat writer. So he uh, has done the, the, the uh, triple crown of covering hockey teams. Stucco, um, how important is the stuff that Seth does for you because I would think when you talk about this being a relationship business with these players so often they're being asked what's up with your 3 for 12 slump and instead you can come from the angle of is this just a normal April for you and they're content and they're okay and that's something you can tell somebody via one of your videos versus all these other people who are who, who are reporting on a panic in quotes about how some guy's off to a horrible slump. Oh, man, uh, he plays a huge role. I mean, even last year during the off season, we would do these opinion pieces. And Seth and another one of the guys who works here, Glenn, they would pretty much be the guys who kind of made sure that I didn't leave the house looking like an asshole whenever I had to come out with these videos because a lot of these Yankees fans and, and baseball fans, sports fans in general, I know they can get a little wild on Twitter and on social media, but they know their sports. So if I am presenting an opinion, some of these stats and facts that Seth will find are extremely important to present to these viewers to add credibility to myself, but more so importantly, to really prove a point and a driving point home. And the wild thing is that you don't have 20 minutes to explain to these people 
stats or, 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 or opinions, whatever it is. So when when we do find the most meaningful stat, that's the one that we're really kind of driving home and the most powerful one. So Seth does a great job of finding those. Um, and and, and kind of to his point of what he was saying about his the exclusivity of his Twitter feed with being a lot of baseball, mainly the Yankees and the Rangers. I mean, shoot, I'm a huge New Jersey Devils fan. I know you guys know that, but I, I enjoy learning things about hockey, baseball. Uh, but but if you're a New York Rangers fan and if you're a New York Yankees fan, Seth's feed, you got to give this guy a follow. I mean, I don't know how you're not at 10,000 followers just yet. I'm sure it's going to happen soon, but um, he's been on top of it a lot and and, and, and yeah, dude, you crushed it for sure. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's kind of like when we work hand in hand together really well. Uh, also, too, it's one thing that I try to do when it comes to stats is I, I know this may sound funny, um, but I kind of like not knowing or following too closely when it comes to standings or when it comes to individual player stats. Because I think that in my head, I think if I knew that somebody was hitting 400 during the season, I have no idea. There may be that 1% chance in my mind that that stat alone may prevent me going to talk to him or going to ask him for an interview because I may say in my head, hey, this guy's in the zone. I don't want to bother him. Or, hey, this guy's at 40 home runs. He might be too good or may not have enough time to talk to me. So I try to not look at stats from that standpoint, you know, a lot of times, I, 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 again, this is just a, a, an approach that I take. Um, but in terms of standings, I couldn't tell you who's in first, second, third, fourth, or fifth in, in, in each division. Um, and again, that's just all because of my approach that I take when I talk to these guys. So um, stats are extremely important when it comes to trying to prove a point in some of the content that we do put out, especially the opinion pieces. In terms of the stuff that I do... I, 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 I like to know, but I don't like to know all, if that makes sense. At Seth D. Rothman on Twitter, uh, you are at 6,300 followers. Hopefully, let's get that to 10,000, as Stucco said, um, really soon. The one, I will, say that, <laughs> I will say this, and people have pointed this out on social media, I'm sure you guys have seen, but... When I interview players, I'm not sure if it's because for 10, 20 minutes we're talking about stuff that's like not baseball related or off topic from that game that night. But I would say nine times out of 10, they actually end up having a really, really good game. So I would, I like to think and I hope that that mental break for these players kind of makes them also not think about the stats or what they have later on that night or who they're going to be facing. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, people have pointed out on social media, specifically Twitter, about um, these guys and the nights that they have. And, and, and I get a kick out of it every time I see somebody hit a grand slam. Uh, shoot, uh, Lorenzo Cain hit a three home runs one night after I interviewed him. Um, and we have a running joke at the office. And with my friends, too, if, if somebody's in a slump, they say, hey, why don't you go <laughs> interview player X? You know, help him out. Give him a give him a stucco bumper. So that's, what, that's what they like to call it. But, um, but yeah, so, again, uh, stats are great, uh, and, and they're extremely important. I think more so when it comes to my approach and, and, and mentality 
it kind of helps to not be so uh, wrapped up in them per se because it, it, it does affect your approach. You realize Seth that you that uh, sorry you realize Stucco that you just gave Seth more work for the one sheet because now there's going to be stats since Stucco interviewed ex player. <laughs> if it's not a baseball reference, I'm, I'm not looking it up. So, <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. I'll, I'll try to keep track this year. I, I know. Uh, I think it was two years ago. Sorry, go ahead, Seth, if you're going to say something. No, no, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Uh, talking with Seth Rothman and Matt Stucco from the S Network here on uh, Teeing It Up. All right, Stucco, you are the host of The Feed, um, which basically is a television show that was already happening digitally. So let's back up for a second. What was the process like to get this onto linear? Because this is essentially a lot of what you were already doing. So was this, somebody came to you and basically said, um, I think this is good stuff for TV. Was this a pitch? Was this an idea that, that came out of left field from somebody's grandmother? Where did this come from to turn your digital content into uh, linear stuff? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, shoot, I guess ever since uh, social media has been around, I've always referenced a certain photo or a certain video in an interview that I was doing, and it always got really good reception from the player and from the viewer. So I was just kind of sitting on this idea for the longest time. I'd go to sleep just dreaming about it, just like, man, I can't wait to do this. I'm going to call it this. I'm going to have so-and-so on, and we're going to talk about this and that, and it's going to be awesome. And I just would go to bed, or try to go to bed, just dreaming about this happening, right? And eventually, I did tell my wife, and I was like, hey, I got this idea, I want to do it, I don't know when I want to do it. And she's like, yeah, hey, why don't you just start now? And I'm like, all right, cool, let's do it. So I ended up uh, presenting the idea to my coworker, AJ, and he was like, hey, that's cool. I presented the idea to my boss, Kevin Sullivan. He's like, yeah, that sounds fun, give it a shot. So I ended up going to do it with a couple of the away players, which we had a good time. Tim Anderson, James Paxson at the time, he was on the Mariners. Uh, I did it with Luis Severino, who also enjoyed it, saw that it had really good reception. And from that point on, I just continued to do it. So now it gets to a point where spring training rolls around, and I'm getting John Carlos Stanton, who is one of the highest followed baseball players on social media so to me and in my opinion that was a huge get and it kind of really helped put this show on the map where it's like hey we have all this great content so let's try to maximize it um so somebody another co-worker here uh, brian lanise he works in graphics and a couple of the other guys we said hey let's create a cool graphics package really spice this thing up because the original content that we had was already getting played at Yankee Stadium. It was already getting played on Yankees Magazine. It was already being used as rain fill during um, 
Yankees games. So it was just like, you know what, let's take this to another level. Which now it evolved into what it is now, which again is uh, we had six episodes in season one. Um, um, we do have more than enough for season two, uh, so hopefully that'll be out sometime soon. But yeah, dude, it, it's, it's nuts just to see how much it evolved. And uh, the crazy part about it is that all these different platforms, uh, they all, the consumers, take in the the content differently, right? So you have digital media where Instagram, you want to stay under a minute. Twitter, you don't want to go over three minutes. Facebook, you do want to go over three minutes. YouTube, you should be at least 10. And then TV is 22. (laughs) So, (laughs) like, all these videos that you see, they're being edited so many different ways for time, for dimensions, to fill up the screen properly so there's so many different things that go into it but it's just cool to see how much it has evolved and uh, just the, the the reputation that it's been able to get and the best part about it is that it's just so much fun and whenever I watch something that that, that I'm in I always want to say to myself like hey that's Matt you know and and I feel like with this type of content and this type of interview just like how I see, like in the in the in the in the ride-alongs that I do with the players, I can honestly sit there and be like, "Oh, hey, that's me," you know. Um, and so, so what you're seeing is completely raw, is completely genuine, and it's just trying to give more context to some of these social media posts, so then at so then the viewers can get closer to their favorite athletes, you know, because it's cool to see photos, cool to see a video. A lot of times there's caption, a lot of times there's not, but hey. People want to know more about these players. It's good for the players. It's good for the game. It's good for the fans. So, honestly, it's a win-win all around. So, it's just kind of cool to see how it evolved from the digital media platform into literally all platforms now. You know, what's interesting, Seth, is I think that a lot of times, and people talk about this with why the NBA has become so popular. It's because you can see their faces and in the NFL there's helmets and you have these victory parades and it's like I don't know who the bleep this person is except for you know the big names who you see on the sidelines after they've done something and at least for me and I don't know if you've had this experience as a consumer of this content even though you're obviously Stucco's colleague that for me it is getting into I, I you know hearing somebody brag about how their dog is the best dog on the planet and you know that's not true my dog is the best dog on the planet um, (laughs) is kind of this interesting look into their lives and what matters to them and who's a foodie and who's not a foodie and who's still eating Easy Mac all these years later as a pro and all this stuff. It's an interesting look at these guys who we see every day but it's in one context and now we're seeing them in a whole different context. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a cool idea because, you know, whenever we talk to a baseball player, they're always extremely guarded, right? Mm-hmm. They're, always, they're always saying only what they want to say and only talking about what they want to talk about. And, you know, Aaron Judge tries to keep himself one way in the public. And, and then they go on the Stucco show and Stucco segments, and you kind of figure out actually who they are. And that is a very underrated thing um, that I think 
bands want. We want to get to know these guys. And Stucco allows us to get to know these guys. Uh, I'll also say that Matt Stucco was the only person that, yes, that roots for, um, you know, Rain. Uh, <laughs> because anytime we have Rain, Jared Boschnack, our coordinating producer, will go, get me a Stucco segment. I don't care what it is. I need a Stucco segment. Uh, so whenever we have rain and, 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 and we have rain during the game, uh, Stucco always finds himself on, on TV again. <laughs> so here's, yeah, I heard here's there's the, a nickname, something like the Rain Man. The Rain Man, yes. All right, so here's the thing, Stucco. I see you at games. Um, I'm sorry, I, I see you on social media at games. I don't think I've ever run into you at a game itself. Let's uh, change that for this upcoming season. But, you know, sometimes you're working and then you go visit a friend who's at the game or sometimes you're there just as a, a, a regular casual person. When you see something you've done pop up on the on 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 the jumbotron, what goes through your head? And then, Seth, the same question for you after: When one of your stats makes it to air, what goes through your head? So we'll start with Matt. Shoot, that's a great question. Kind of got chills thinking about it right now. Um, I I I mean, I try I try to I like to think of myself as very humble so I try not to bask in like seeing myself on the jumbotron at Yankee Stadium but I do and I think this is important for everybody to do no matter what it is that you do but to kind of take a step back and kind of realize how far you've come because it's important because there's so many sacrifices so much time and effort that goes into these things that like there's there is a sense of pride and and it does make it all worth it I think what I've noticed this past year or two, what I actually really enjoy doing when I see some some of my work up on the uh, the, the screen at Yankee Stadium is uh, kind of just like looking around in the crowd and seeing people watch or seeing people laugh or or seeing their reaction. You know, like that's 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 what I kind of find rewarding. Um, I mean, there's been players that I've bumped into. I bumped into Mookie Betts in the tunnel. On, a, on the second game of a three-game homestand against the Boston Red Sox. And uh, he said to me, he's like, man, that piece you did with Chapman, that was so cool. And I was like, oh, shit, you saw it? He's like, yeah, I was watching during batting practice. It was on, on the Jumbotron. I was like, shit, that's good. So, like, that's the type of stuff where it's just like, you never know who's watching, but there's people who are watching. You don't know if people are watching for entertainment. You don't know if people are watching it uh, to, for a breath of fresh air to kind of take away the concentration or the focus on some other thing that they may be dealing with that day. So it's kind of alleviating that for them. Um, and you also don't know if somebody's watching to eventually make fun of you. Who knows? Point being is that you never know who's watching. So I, like I do, I, I, I do try to, um, be super humble about it and, and 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 just kind of take a step back when necessary just kind of realize because shoot i mean we can all attest to this i'm sure a lot of these listeners right now remember one of the first times they've gone to yankee stadium one of the first times they've gone to city field whatever ballpark arena that they've been to and they were a kid at one point looking up on the screen seeing somebody up there and so i that that i i i really do try to uh again just just try to just just be self-aware Seth, how about when Michael or Ryan or Bob or one of the analysts 
says something you you put on that one sheet yeah i mean you know part of it is is almost sort of like um it's my job to to put stuff out there that our graphics producers and 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 producers want to use so on one level it's good i'm glad i contributed today um obviously if something makes it into the actual game broadcast um that's pretty cool as well um you know the the um we we kind of have a running joke in the research department which is that james smythe who who is one of the best baseball researchers in the entire country um is the booth statistician with michael and he will get at least one shout out a game uh he he'll he might even get on camera once in a while like I mean, the kid is just, he is, he is brilliant, um, and, and puts out incredible information, puts out pages and pages worth of stuff, and we had kind of have a joke in the research department, which is that, like, I want my shout out. <laughs> you know, so, so James, you know, Michael said, you know, James just told us X, Y, and Z, and I, and, and it'll happen maybe like once or twice a season, where Michael K will say, you know, this is from our researcher, Seth Rothman. And that, so that's always kind of cool. Um, obviously, when just my nugget is on a graphic in the game, that's pretty cool too. But when I see that Michael K actually liked a note that I put out on Twitter or a note that I gave to you know James, the actually the funny stuff is when I will give James a note. James will pass it to Michael, and then Michael will say, "You know, James just told us." <laughs> And I'll text James, and I'll text Smythe, and I'll say, you know, you could have at least told him who it came from, right? <laughs> um, so we kind of have a running joke about that. Listen, it's it's always special. It's it's always it's always neat when you hear your name on on TV. I'm I'm not going to lie to you, and I think Stucco certainly agrees with that. But on the other token, um, it's my job to give them information that they want to use. So. If 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 I don't get any graphics on the air that day, I didn't do my I did I feel like I didn't do my job very well. So on some level, it's it's sort of this is what's supposed to happen. Um, and then the other thing is you have nights like last night. Um, okay, I just outed the date that we're taping this. Um, but we have nights like last night when Derek Jeter gets elected to the Hall of Fame, and I was talking to Smythe as I was um, as we were on on the way home, and I said like. We just, you know, the two of us are 1990s kids. You know, we grew up in the 1990s. I started watching the Yankees in 1994. I watched Derek Jeter's entire career. He was my favorite player growing up. It was an honor to watch him play baseball every day. All this stuff. And I just got to work on at the Yes Network on the night when he got elected to the Hall of Fame. And I helped to mold our coverage of Derek Jeter getting in, in, into the Hall of Fame. And it's nights like last night that remind me how special my job is. Certainly, um, you guys have, have, have access and have privileges and have opportunities that are so special and unprecedented. And, and that connection to Jeets certainly is one of them. Uh, talking to Matt Stucco, Seth Rothman on Teeing It Up. That's actually a really good foray into what I wanted to ask next. You guys have been in media 
Uh, Stucco, when did you say you first started covering Blue Claws games? 2005. Which means you were how old? You were... Shoot. I think, was that 15? Right? Yeah, 15? yeah. Basically yeah. half my life. This right. is not all I really know, right. to be honest. So, <laughs> playing baseball and I was little than covering it. So, um, <laughs> what is that feeling like to be fans? Because obviously you're working in sports because you like sports. And, you know, you can still be a Devils fan. And Joe Buck talks about this all the time, about how the St. Louis Blues are, are, are his one really diehard team. And for the first time this past year, as they went on that run to win the Stanley Cup, he, he for the first time, understood why fans gripe about him and these national telecasts during the playoffs because he wanted the guys he's listened to all year and, and nothing against Doc and Eddie, but he wanted his his guys and not the national guys. So that's just a a uh, side note by me. But especially for you, Stucco, you've been a fan of so many teams and so many sports for so long, and yet you've been in it for so long. So I would think as an outsider, you've become, A, you may still be a fan of X team, but you will also maybe become a fan of more players than teams, per se, because of the guys you've gotten to meet. So let's start with Seth on this. Uh, 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 sorry, Stucco on this. How has working in media changed how you've been a fan of sports? Shoot, man, you hit the nail on the head. I do not have a favorite team. I, I do root um, for, for players to do well. Um, I honestly think that's why I, I love hockey as much as I do. I'm going to hockey games and the Devils because there's nowhere near as much of a personal connection to some of the guys who are playing in that sport and on that team as there are in baseball. Um, so, yeah, I, shoot, I'm trying to think the best way to answer that question. Um, I never, like, I, I was a... I guess, like, growing up, like anybody else, like, I, I loved the Yankees. I loved going to Mets games. I thought City, or Shea Stadium was pretty cool. Wow, usually it's the other way around when people mess that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, uh, uh, there's there's two things off the top of my head that I'll always remember. One was meeting Brian Hoke back when he covered the Mets. This might have been in 2005 or 2006. Just hold on one second. Uh, sure. Brian Hope, for those who don't know, is the MLB.com beat writer for the Yankees. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so at the time he was covering the Mets for his own gig. And he told me, he said, hey, in this sport, um, my only piece of advice is just never become a, a fan, or especially of, of one team. So I, I remember that pretty clearly. Uh, the other thing that I remember too is shoot, I don't even know. Do you guys remember what year the All Star game was in Atlanta? The MLB All Star game? Yeah. I will look it up right now. Seth, any idea offhand? Uh, 2000, maybe? I feel like it might have been 2000. It was. Folks, this 2000. is called Googling on the spot. Um, 2000. Leave it, leave it to the researcher. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Touche. Say 2000. So I'm, I'm just like a small dude. And I showed up. Still a pretty small dude, to be fair. So I show up to a dinner, family dinner. And my best friend's dad to me says, hey, man, you can't wear that shirt here. And I was wearing uh, 2000 
all-star game batting practice jersey of Tim Hudson. And it, it was, obviously, he played on the Oakland A's that time, so it was an American League jersey. Well, my best friend's dad was, at the time, or I guess he was just finishing up his tenure as the National League president of Major League Baseball. Mm. So... At that time, like, yeah, sure, even though, like, it was a joke that he was saying that, it kind of, like, made me fall in love with other teams, you know, like, kind of have a respect for the Dodgers, where Jackie Robinson played and, 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 and broke the barrier, um, uh, and, and and other teams, like the Phillies, who are right down the road, National League teams, I was kind of, like, starting to look at. So it wasn't just the Yankees anymore, it was just kind of, like, Oh, you know, like, I love all of baseball. Like, why do I have to love one team? So, I think it started at that point where I kind of rooted for players. You know, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. basically what I'm trying to say is that the, the culmination of, of those two things when I was younger and having personal relationships with a lot of these guys and working at it and being a professional, I do not root for a specific team. Now, don't get me wrong. I love when the Yankees win because that means that more of the content that I do can be published on all these different platforms because I had been doing the same stuff back in 2013 and 14 when I joined Yes, They just weren't winning as much as they are now. So now it's okay to put out, like, a, the videos that I'm doing now, but, like, back then when they weren't winning as much, maybe not so much. Uh, Seth, you've been in an interesting boat where you've been behind the scenes and you've also been the guy whose name is on the masthead uh, covering a team. So how has this changed for you? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Um, when, I, when, I was, when I was covering a team and in a locker room and asking questions, I didn't feel like I could be a fan of that team anymore. Like I actually stopped rooting for the Rangers. And it took me a few years to kind of get there. Um... But I, I and people always told me that they thought I was lying. There's no way you can stop rooting for a team. Well, I, I did. Uh, I was not a Rangers fan while I covered them. Um, I am not. I am not the kind of Rangers fan now that I was before I covered them because it's actually kind of tough to separate from that again. Um, my work with the Yankees because I'm not in the locker rooms. I'm not a, in. I'm not. I'm not interviewing the players. I feel like I can still be a fan. Um, um, but it was different when I covered hockey. I'll tell you one other thing, too, is that by covering guys and by interviewing players and coaches, I learned that they're all humans. You know, they're, they're not robots. They're not, I'll, I'll tell you a story. My first year covering hockey, Tom Rennie was the Rangers coach. And Tom Rennie was known as one of the nicest men in the entire sport. And I was intimidated to, a to ask him a question. I, I never, in my entire time covering the Rangers that first half season, I never asked a coach a question. I was too intimidated to do so. I was the new kid on the block. I was just learning. I was learning all these personalities. Um, and I couldn't ask Tom Brady a question. He was fired my first year in February, and they brought in John Tortorella. Uh, and for those of you who don't know hockey very well, John Tortorella is his public persona, and I use that term. His public persona is a gruff, mean, 
sob right that's sort of his public what he put what he what he puts out now here i am i'm 21 years old i'm just out of college my first season covering the rangers and now there's a new coach and now i feel like i'm the veteran in in, in the room so now i am actually willing to ask john tortorella something one of the first questions that I asked Torts, uh, and I forget what the question was, that's not important, I stutter through, through it. I can barely get, get the question out. John waits, allows me to ask the question, gives me a nice answer. The press conference ends, this was at the old MSG press room, where for the coach to leave the press conference, he had to walk past the reporters. So I am standing at the edge of the row of seats, Torts walks past me after I stuttered through this awful question and gives me a pat on the back. Mm. And that pat on the back taught me more about who John Tortorella really was than any question I asked him over the remaining years he was the coach of, of that team. And I realized this is a human who who is an adult and who understood that there was an issue there that was bigger than hockey and that he wanted to tell me without saying anything quietly without other reporters finding out Seth, it's okay I'm not going to jump down your throat you can ask a question, don't be nervous I'm not the guy you think I am right, that's what he was telling me by patting me on the back now, other reporters saw that and for the rest of towards his tenure anytime there was a bad game I would always get ribbing from certain writers, you know, I'm going to sit next to you, he likes you. <laughs> um, and that was a pretty normal thing. But, but, but I learned that day that John Tortorella is a human. And he actually has a soft spot for issues like that. Um, and so I think one thing you learn by being in the industry is that these guys are not machines, they're not robots. They, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us do. And I think that helps us to mold our coverage. Yeah, to, to Seth's point, which that's a cool story, man. That's like, I'm, and I, as you're saying that, I'm getting flashbacks in my head of being inside the locker room and seeing you ask Marty Brodeur a question after the stadium. Like, yeah, man, you go, son. Yeah. <laughs> They're not robots. They're, they're regular human beings uh, growing up. Um, again, my best friend's dad, Len Coleman. At the time, he was the National League president. And uh, he gave a call. He's like, hey, Matt, why don't you come over? And they lived right down the street from me. So I just walked on over. He's like, I want you to meet somebody. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I go down into the basement. And because uh, my buddy's dad was like, hey, he's waiting for you down there. And I'm like, all right. Like, I have no idea who the heck is in this basement. Then I get down there, um, the next game is on, and I see the back of somebody's head. Still no idea who it is. <laughs> and, and I walk around, and sitting on the couch is Frank Robinson. And he says to me, hey, kid, you want to watch a game? And I was like, shit. <laughs> All right. Wow. <laughs> so here I am at home in Middletown, New Jersey, watching a Knicks game with Frank Robinson. And I was really young at this time. And and, and and just that one instance, like Seth said, again, 
these people, just like you and I, put their pants on one leg at a time, put a shirt on. They are human. And, and I think that's important to always understand and realize and, and, and something that I always try to show when talking to these players. Yeah. Because they, can, they, they have a tough life, man. Um, and sure, I'm sure somebody's listening to this saying, what do you mean they have a tough life? They make millions of dollars and they get to play a kid's sport, whatever sport it may be. But like the, the demands that they are under, the stress that they're under, what their families have to sacrifice is just it's on another level they they so, earn money they yeah, of course they, they they definitely earn the money um so yeah i think i think it's just it's shoot it's 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 why i do what i do today and crazy enough is during the all-star game i was walking around this year in in cleveland i was walking around the stadium and the last time that I had been to an All-Star game, ironically, was an All-Star game in Cleveland in 1997. And at that time, I had posted a picture not that long ago on Instagram. But it was me, my brother, uh, my best friend, and my best friend's dad, uh, Ozzie Smith. And at the time, I think it was like Ozzie Smith's wife or somebody. And then, so I'm sitting there watching the Home Run Derby, and I'm like, man, this... This dude's like a cool guy too. So like I'm I'm getting exposed to all these baseball players, legends, past, present, at such a young age and seeing how they're regular people. And as I'm at the All Star game this year, I'm thinking about that and I'm walking around the stadium just like checking it out, taking some cool pictures. And at, there's the statue of Frank Robinson out in the outfield. So I'm like, you know what? I want to take a picture of this. Like, I don't take a picture of Frank, pay my respect, whatever, because he's pretty much the reason why I cover the game the way that I do right now. It's showing the human side of players. And, uh, oh, man, I wish, yeah, you got, I'll send you guys a picture after this. Definitely take a look at it uh, on, on my social media accounts. But um, I didn't realize this until after I took the picture, but I got the chills like crazy. So... The statue of Frank Robinson is him looking down, pointing at what is in his hand, a lineup. So, in one of the pictures, I'm looking down at this lineup. So I'm like, man, there's nothing to this picture. I don't know what. And then I'm like, holy shit. This is like the exact same type of thing as what I do on the feed where... I'm showing almost the exact same type of size this lineup is to the iPad that I use. And, like, looking down at it, I'm like, holy crap. This is crazy. And, and again, I know this is a this is a podcast, so it's a little bit tough without having the actual visuals. But, like, just that moment in time, I was like, holy shit, I feel like things have kind of come full circle right now. And I didn't realize why I was taking a picture, but afterwards, as I'm looking at it, I couldn't believe it. I was like, damn, this is fucking nuts. Oops, sorry for cursing. <laughs> no, it's fine. You can curse on here. I don't care. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I think the curse right there just kind of proves a point. It's kind of like, you, like every, everybody's human. You never know what can happen. Everything come full circle. And, 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 and it's, it's just totally grateful to be able to cover this sport and, and, and be in this industry. It's, it's pretty wild. 
to that point, Stucco, um, and I'm going to try not to cry as I get through this, so just bear with me. Um, I had CBS Sports' Amanda Balionis on this podcast in April of 2017, <clears throat> and she's a rising star at CBS and is, 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 is going to go on to huge things as a sideline reporter, golf interviewer, um, whatever she wants to do going forward. And she was delayed getting on the phone with me. And thus, I was prepared. And then because she was running late, I got nervous. And I had a really bad stuttering day. Really bad. And this is you know, three years after I, I graduated from speech therapy. And it was just one of those days. And I felt horrible. And after we got off the air, I said... Amanda, I'm so sorry. It was just one of those days. And she's like, it's okay. Don't worry. You know, you were, you know, the questions were good. You were good. I enjoyed it. Don't worry about it. And it's one of those moments. And this is somebody who, and and I can say this because she's been very public with this, uses yoga as a way to combat her anxiety. And I think all of us are human. And you may look at these people and they're so smooth on air. Or they're so smooth in press conference or they're so smooth you know interacting with people but people do have bad days people do have good days people are sometimes not what they look at and that was such a human moment for amanda to say to me you were good don't worry about it versus oh my god i can't believe that you know this was longer than it should have been or whatever um just a a a, a true testament to how a classy she is and b to the point about how these guys are actually humans yeah, and like, and and you would never even know until you actually experience it. So yeah. the more t- times you experience it, the more you appreciate, it, the more you understand, and the better everything becomes. Yeah, and it's uh, it is it is remarkable, and uh, you are appreciative when you look back on those things all, all these years later, and you realize, wow, I did overcome blank and get to where I am. Which brings me to the next question. We've had some great segues in this podcast, by the way. Uh, well done, guys. Well done. Um, I can see why we work in media. Uh, Seth Rothman, Matt Stucco from the S Network on here. But we're also on here because we are Quinnipiac University alums. And um, this is where we get to uh, do our public service announcement for the School of, uh, school of Communications. Uh, uh, just kidding. They... They are not paying me. Although, if anybody from QU would like to pay me for this podcast and sponsor it, I am all ears. So that's just that. Um, all right, Seth, uh, what did the impact of the Q do for you down the line besides getting to work with me, which opened up your eyes to how crazy life can, can uh, be and get? Uh, this is going to be a long answer, so stuck or buckle in. Um, <laughs> cool. You know, obviously, yeah. Um, obviously, WQAQ, the student-run radio station, there was a massive influence for me. Um, I got involved my freshman year. I was sports director for three years, and um, I got to work with people fairly high up, and I got to learn things and. Uh, I got to go call the NCAA tournament in uh, baseball, and, and and I got to cover really cool events there, and, and the hands-on experience um, was unforgettable. Uh, some good moments, some bad moments, but overall incredibly instructive to me as I try to learn. 
um, how to do what we do, uh, whether it was that I made a mistake and I got called out for it, whether it was anything else. Um, um, working at QAQ was immensely important to me, and I, I would not be where I am without that. Um, I had professors there, Bill Schweitzer and Ken Bennett. Unfortunately now, or fortunately for them, I guess both of them are not retired, um, but they were both um, two of the most influential people in, in my life, frankly, um, and two people that I continue to keep in contact with, even though I graduated now almost, my God, 12 years ago. Um, so that was very important. I'll tell you what else was very important. Uh, I would not have my job at Yes without Quinnipiac University. Um, full stop. Um, the story of how I got a freelance job at Yes. Um, um, at the time, and I don't know if they still do this, but uh, Quinnipiac did a, uh, a, C a senior mentorship program where if you were a senior, um, they would have recent graduates return to campus um, and give you advice. They would pair you up with someone who would give you advice and maybe even help you find a job. The person that they paired me up with was, I think, some type of a music of a movie executive who worked in Los Angeles. It wasn't a very good pairing. Uh, that part was disappointing. A couple of weeks later, they held a meet and greet where all of the alums returned to meet all of the students in this program. We got to talk with the face-to-face with our alum. They then introduced us to all of the different alums who were there from, from all the different places. One of the alums was Glenn Jean Grandy, the senior writer at the Yes Network. So at some point they say, okay, go talk to whoever you want to go talk to. And I made a beeline, me and about three or four other guys, made a beeline over to Glenn. And I introduced myself, and I gave him my information, my resume, cover letter, everything. And I said, you know, anything you can do to help me out would be incredible. I gave him my email address. I emailed him every once in a while just to kind of keep up to date with him. This was in May of 2008. Glenn passed my information along to the head of scheduling, who then passed my information along to the head of the um, entry-level loggers, who the person who, who schedules all the people who log an out-of-town game or log a Yankees game. This was in May of 2008. In May of 2009, I get a phone call from the head of the logging department. I said, this is, you know, so-and-so. Um, are you still looking for work? Yeah. Yes, I, I am. Okay. I have an entry-level logging position that, that we'd like to bring you in for. Okay. Well, that was in May of 2009. And... We are now 11 years later. Um, it took me seven years to get put on, on staff and moved up from logging to, to logging the Yankee game to working on the Michael K show or the Mike Francesa show that, um, to my current job now. And I would not have gotten in the door at the Yes Network without Glenn and without the Quinnipiacs uh, without Quinnipiac's 
um, School of Communications uh, mentorship program. So, so uh, as I told you, that would be a really long answer. Um, the story of how I got into yes is 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 of of luck and of happenstance and of the right things all coming together and and I I would not have my job I would not have my career with, without Quinnipiac I might not be in the industry with, without uh, without Quinnipiac so um, that's 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 my answer. Stuck. No, I don't like what Seth is saying. Just the relationships that he's gotten from Quinnipiac. I mean, that school, as we all know from going there, they gave you the tools that you needed in order to succeed. Now, what you did with those tools, <laughs> that's up to you. Everybody's their own person. But they put you in a position to succeed. And I do remember a lot of those meetings that Seth had been running with Steve and, and we'd all be sitting there. And it's, dude, it's so cool to actually go to college being in that situation to being in the professional world. It's almost as if we never even graduated. It feels like we never even graduated, just still working together. Yeah, man, no, I mean, and, and, it's, and it's cool. I mean, Quinnipiac, I think the neat thing about Quinnipiac is at the time, that I got to do um, yes, there were five or six Quinnipiac grads. More than that, there might have been close to ten Quinnipiac grads. There was somebody in promos. There was somebody as an associate producer. There still is our head of PR is a Quinnipiac grad. There was Glenn. There was me. Stuff. There's you, uh, John Leach, who used to work in a freelance basis with a, you know, with us. Um, there have been so many Quinnipiac grads that that when they see Quinnipiac on the name now at, at uh, Yes, they immediately say, we've gotten all this talent from Quinnipiac. That's a good school. We want to hire that person. So um, it's, it's pretty crazy about all the Quinnipiac grads that are there now and that have been there. And all the previous Quinnipiac grads have helped us. And my hope is, is that Stucco, you and I, are helping the next Quinnipiac graduates um, hopefully get a job there because of, of, of what we've been able to accomplish there. Yeah, uh, totally, totally second that. Great reputation. And shoot, I mean, right now I'm wearing a Quinnipiac sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> so people definitely know about Quinnipiac University, I guess. Now, again, within the broadcast industry, too, and sports industry, and it's cool. There's almost kind of like that chip on your shoulder, too, because you hear about other schools like Syracuse and, and, and Fordham, which are great schools, and I was actually pretty close to going to Fordham. But j just being from Quinnipiac, a small school in the Northeast, and, 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 and being on this level is uh, it's pretty awesome. That's it. And I'll say this, um, even as somebody who's had their ups and downs like I have, the ability to write carries through everything and and one of the reasons why why pj magazine my employer has given me the tools that they have is that our goal we write on behalf of the golf teachers we talk to for articles um for these uh, uh specific type of articles which is which are for a a whole separate digital platform and we write on their behalf as to not disenfranchise great golf teachers who may not be great writers and they get full editorial control so they can change it, make it sound like them, blah, blah, blah. 
But none of that happens if it's not for the writing I, I learned at QU. And I think that that's the skill, no matter what you do in life, no matter if you stuck with with SOC or whether you're you know, now working as a chief financial officer somewhere, it's those skills that carry over no matter what you do. That's very true. I mean, when, when you know, I get a lot of young people who, uh, um, who will find me on, on either, you know, whether it's um, LinkedIn or, or wherever, you know, you know Twitter, um, and I always tell them, like, if, if you want to work in journalism, you have to write. You have to love writing. You have to want to write. You have to be good at writing because uh, writing is, is the bedrock of, of this industry. Yep. I mean, shoot, that's how we all began. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You may not necessarily write every single minute of every single day now, but without writing, I mean, what's your foundation? Exactly. And... I also think it makes you better speakers and better interviewers because you write your questions better. Mm-hmm. And it all just parlays down. I don't know if parlay was the right word there, but it all it, it, it all carries on from there. Um, Alright, we are going to close this podcast on a completely different note. So we're going to make a 180 switch here to Stucco's, uh, um, Stucco's workplace attire. But it's going to be in a way that you haven't heard it before. Before we get to that, though, I know Stucco, and I've I've had this noted for a while because we've been trying to do this podcast for a while. Back in October, you wore a tie that meant a lot to you, and it was for breast cancer awareness. And if there's anything you want to say on that, I will let you have the floor. Sure, man. I mean, wow. So uh, first and foremost, my mom just seeing what she had gone through. Um, just during that entire process and 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 the remission process is just I I can't even put into words or I couldn't even imagine um, going through that. But seeing that type of individual in my life and and as a role model and something like that happening so close to home really puts things into perspective. So. Man, you see me walking around the office, you see me at the stadium, you see me on social media, you see me all the time smiling. There's there's a reason why I'm smiling. It's because I've experienced through that, I've experienced through a bad car accident where I woke up in an ambulance um, not knowing what the heck happened, uh, being in a wheelchair for almost two months, actually while I was at Quinnipiac. I've experienced these certain things where you kind of, realize that life is so short you never know if what you have today is going to be there tomorrow um so it's just one of those things where that that's that's the reason why i try to work as hard as i do i I try to laugh as much as i can i try to smile as much as i do just because you know what like man shit life's too short to be miserable life's too short to be negative um that's why I was just trying to be the most positive person that I could be. So when I do see people who are in a bad mood, I try to lighten them up a little bit. When I do see somebody who's wearing something nice, I want to positively comment on it because you know what? That could make their day. You don't know what they're going through. So just little situations like that. And like, I honestly, I try not to think too much about the negative people or about like some people on, on social media who 
or trolls, whatever the heck it is, or whatever. I have no idea what makes some people so miserable, but whatever the heck it is, um, sometimes it just takes certain experiences to kind of open people's eyes up a little bit more. And and not that I wish that upon anybody <laughs> to happen, because I want the best for everybody, but certain situations like that really do make you realize how fragile life is and how fragile it can be and why you really should just enjoy all the good moments and, and embrace all the bad ones, you know? Um, not every day is going to be sunshine and rainbows, so you just kind of have to uh, take things day by day, be appreciative for what you have, and just approach everything with a positive and right mentality and, and, and work hard, you know? Whatever you put into something is what you're going to get out of it, so I try to put everything that I can into every single day, try to get the most out of every single day possible. And that's what I just want to do and try to have a positive effect on everybody. So, shoot, if you're listening to this, if you're going through something rough, tomorrow, I promise, hopefully we'll be better. If not, a week from now. Um, and if everything's great right now, enjoy it, because maybe a week from now it won't be. But, uh, yeah, just take everything in stride. And, man, yeah, uh, I feel like I rambled a little bit just then. But no, it's okay. I just want to explain as to why I am, you know, in such a good mood because shit, like, I'm not trying to be serious for my entire life. I want to, I, I can't be serious at times, but I just want to have fun. I want everybody to have as much fun as possible. Hey, Stucco, do you remember what, uh, what Skip Gooley used to say when you asked him how he was doing today? No, tell me. I woke up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, you wake up every single day. What the fuck do you got to complain about? Yeah. You know, Mecca, uh, Billy Mecca has something very similar that he says when you ask how how he's doing, and and yeah, same sentiment. I'm sorry, Chuck. Exactly. I, I I interrupted you. Was there anything else you wanted to add on to that? No, I mean it's funny that you actually mentioned the pink tie though, because I'm ironically holding a pink Mother's Day pick this bat in my hand right now, walking around with it. <laughs> there you go. Um, the reason why I, I brought this up, you posted this on October 18th, which was during some big series, and you said pink ties all postseason. Here's somebody who could have worn anything he wanted to all these games and wore pink for breast cancer awareness month. If that doesn't tell you everything you want to know about Matt Stucco, that should say it right there. Um Appreciate it. Thank you. Now, speaking of your dress attire, this is how we're going to approach this. I, Because I'm sure a lot of people ask you where you get your suits, where you get your ties. That's not something I'm interested in. I'm interested in this question. Seth, what is your workplace attire? Oh, it's, 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 it's um, pretty much the same every day. Polo shirt and jeans. That's a big polo guy. On a, on, a, on a cold day, I might go long sleeve, but it's, it's polo shirt and jeans every, every day. How glad are you that you don't have to be wearing a suit on one of those super hot or super cold days and you're in a nice, comfy office? <laughs> well, let me say this first of all. There are times our office is not comfy uh, because uh, let's just say that in TV studios, typically speaking, uh, they like to keep it cool. Yeah. So I'll just I'll just say that. Um, yeah. Listen. I mean, I'm not. I'll, I've never been a, a, a suit guy. Even when I covered hockey, it, it was a you know dress shirt, nice pants, and, and a tie uh, with no suit jacket. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I don't, it's nice to be behind the camera. Um, but it's funny because if you look at Bob Lorenz when he's hosting a show, um, he's not wearing a suit and tie all, all day. And even when he's on the air, he's not really wearing a suit. So, uh, you know, business up top and party on the bottom. So, uh, all right, baby. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll see, you'll see Bob, uh, uh, jeans and, 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 you know, sandals going up to host the uh, show and you, you kind of laugh. So, uh, no, listen, TV's, you know, working, working there. Um, yeah, you know, it kind of is what it is. So now, Stucco, how often do you wish you could have Seth's dress code versus your dress code? To be honest, I, I, um, when I am at the office, I'm, I'm also, I mean, I'm actually, I should be dressing more like Seth at the office, but, <laughs> <laughs> but to be honest, um, I'm, I am a hundred percent all or nothing. So if you see me out in public, I will be ma making sure that the suit is to the nines, the, the khakis and the polo is hopefully a good fit. But when it comes to being at the office, everything that I've shot video-wise and had the interviews video-wise in those outfits, I'm now taking back to the office to edit, and I just like to be comfortable when I edit, so a lot of times I'll wear a hoodie um, just to kind of put the horse blinders on and just stare at the screen and, and, and really get after at the video that I'm editing. Are there and days when you're lying, when, when you're at the stadium and it's 80 with a heat index of 90 where you just wish you could be rocking Seth's dress code back at the office instead of having to sweat your butt off uh, uh, through some suit? Shoot, I mean, I this past season because of the feed, I tended to wear more polos than not, but... Man, I'll tell you what, sometimes uh, <laughs> sometimes it does get odd, but going back to what I was saying before um, about, like, just opportunity being grateful for everything, I'd rather, I'd rather do any of those two, be comfortable in an office, be sweating my butt off in a suit at the stadium than doing something that I didn't love to do. So I think everything kind of like out, like the, the opportunity outweighs the outfit. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes it does get, it does get, it does get so hot. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I, I always get around, I'm saying like, like, I don't know how other people do it in other markets, but then you have the Houston Astros, which has a dome. You have like Miami, like all these stadiums are domes. So I guess you could kind of pretty much work anywhere, but, um, <laughs> yeah, there's some hot and some cold days. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I give you guys so much credit who have to go through that. Um, I, I always joke that I'm so glad that I am retired from competitive golf because I did not like having to go through tryouts for high school when it was 38 degrees out, and I sure as heck don't miss those rounds where the heat index was 95. Um, I am very glad those 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 tournament days are are uh, behind me. Um, so let's end it on this very random note. Your favorite Derek Jeter memory in sixty seconds or less, and we will start with Seth Rothman. Oh, I guess start with me. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, there's just so You work in TV, I gotta put you on the spot. No, no, I know. I, literally yesterday, part of my job was to put on the ticker the list of all of his biggest moments, and I couldn't whittle it down under 33 of them. Um, <laughs> literally, we had 33 moments in the Jeter timeline rolling on, on the ticker last night. Um, his last walk-off was so cool. Uh, just because of, of what it meant. But I'm actually going to go with his single in World Series Game 6 of 96, just because that was my favorite night I've ever had as a um, you know baseball fan. And so for him to have a moment in that game that helped the Yankees win it, um, you know, to me, that's, that's number one. You know, his dive into the stands, his walk-off to end it, uh, the flip... I mean, uh, the first pitch home run in 2000, I mean, I don't know how you've only picked one, but, but I just gave you five and maybe my number one favorite. Stuck? Damn, you just rallied off some good moments. <laughs> that was literally my job yesterday, Stuck. Oh, it's like, <laughs> it's my mind right yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn, so I got to resort to game 87 and 19... 99 against uh, the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> All right, I know that. I play that. Yeah, I mean, every so. <laughs> um, yeah. To be honest, uh, off the top of my head, damn. Um, I would, I would have to say. And maybe this this isn't so much of of his of a specific player moment, but just something about seeing that two on the pinstripe uniform. There's just something special about that. It's just uh, an entertaining feeling, a comforting feeling, a chilling feeling that we've all been accustomed to since we were kids, and still are to this day. So. I would have to just say that, just like the, the 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 all the good memories that you think of when you do see that number two, and on the back of his jersey, the home jersey specifically. But I'll have to go with that. And again, I know that's not a specific game or moment or play, but um, shoot, that number two is one of the reasons why we all want to wear number two when we were younger, be a baseball player when we were younger, play like him. So I'll have to I'll have to go with that. Yeah, those are, those are, that's a really good one, and that's why I think, Seth, you made that post last night on Facebook with the uh, respect and that two thing uh, for that exact reason. I'm going to give you three off the, off the beaten path type ones. Number one, the speech leaving the old stadium, entering the new stadium, last, last home game of 08. Um, he said he didn't plan anything. Uh, you, you, I don't believe it because that was so perfect and on point. And he said he had no script, but it, those sentiments were were just really from the heart. Number two, the fact that the walk off to end his Yankee Stadium career was a hit to the other way um, was just quintessential, quintessential Jeter. And number three, the last hit of his career. That infield single that he hustled down the first baseline in Boston, that's Derek Jeter, who had the greatest motto that I've ever heard of for an athlete. All 
I ask is that you give it your all for three hours, nine innings. I don't care what you do at 10 a.m., but just give me everything you got for these three hours. It's so simple, and yet it's hard to do, and he did it so well for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just rang a bell. So I, I got a moment now. Okay. It's not just like a, 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 like a, I don't know, visualization. But his game-winning walk-off hit, the last hit at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. I I really wanted to do this one specific video that I yeah I always try to bring like something different to the table. So I'm like, what could be different? than what everybody else is going to be watching or, 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 or doing during this. So um, I was like, you know what? It's going to be the last time that they ever press the button for Bob Shepard's announcement for Derek Jeter during a regular season game. So that the, the later innings, I kept on going into the Bob Shepard, like the announcer booth, and I would just like wait and wait for him to come up and uh, – being there to see that button get pressed for the last time, recording it on video, and being in that booth for it—that was, uh, that was, that was, that's, that's going to go down as probably a top ten moment in my uh, in my career for sure. At least working with the Yankees, that was uh, wow. That was that was a cool one. Um, a. What a classy gesture by the Red Sox to offer to play Bob Shepard's intro. And what a, a move by Jeter to very kindly say no thank you. The last time I want to hear Bob Shepard's voice was in Yankee Stadium. And number three, I hope Jeter has that video. I hope that some somebody at the Yes Network or the Yankees got him that video. Because I'm sure he would want that. Because that whole moment... Especially as his kids now grow up and look back on you know stuff like uh, stuff like DJ 3K stuff like this season, that may be something he'll want for down the line. Oh, shoot. I mean, like we were saying before, like on a podcast, it's kind of tough to describe certain things that visually, and I think this is going to be one of them that, like you said, when he is telling his grandkids or whoever may be his children it'll be a cool visual to supplement the story yeah and by the way the other person who stole the show that night is his nephew and uh that that kid's gonna be very popular down the line when people make the connection for who that is it's that kid that 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 kid just stole the show wearing the uh whole whole respect hat um, we could do this for five hours, um, and I joke with Seth that we would do this for five hours, but um, unfortunately we have lives that prevent us from doing this for five hours. Um, Seth, thank you again for coming on Teeing It Up. You were on the second ever version, and now 12 years later you're on the most recent. Uh, Jeremy, I appreciate it. It's always fun, and it's always fun to to reminisce and talk about Quinnipiac and talk about the things that we talked about today. So this was fun, and uh, uh, it's been great that, obviously, we were able to keep in contact all, all these years, and so let's continue to keep in contact. And Matt Stucco, thank you for coming back on Teeing It Up after a very long hiatus. Let's not make the next hiatus something like 10 years. <laughs> Agreed 100%. Thank you so much for having us, and 
like Seth said, we're doing it all together right now. So no doubts in my mind that we'll, we, we will be doing that um, down the road. And shoot, can't wait for part three already. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what are we going to talk about? We, we've kind of cleared the deck here. Um, and this may be the only time people, employees of Yes, have been on a show and have not talked about sign stealing recently. So we have had an accomplishment here that we did not bring up the sign stealing. Um, thank you both. Thank you for coming on Teeing It Up. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. We will talk to you soon.